Saturday, 12.06 p.m. It is August 28th, 2021. BK here coming at you guys from San Diego. Please follow me on Twitter at Bravo Kilo Actual for breaking news. And check out my Instagram at BK Actual. Just one quick announcement. There may be no podcast next weekend. I might have something going on or I might try to do it on a Friday. I'm not quite sure yet. So I'll keep you guys updated on that through those social media channels. So uh, let's go ahead, though, and start. Uh, and for the third week in a row, of course, we're going to start with Afghanistan, where a suicide bomber in Kabul did kill hundreds of people. And that does include, sadly, 13 United States troops. And this was right outside Hamid Karzai Airport, um, just hours after multiple Western governments had warned of an imminent Islamic State attack and told their people to stay away from the airport. So this attack struck at really the only area where you could kind of flee the country and get into the airport. And it, if you look at a map of it, you can see it's almost like just a, 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 a like a, the perfect spot for a suicide bomber to hit to have maximum casualties. This is one of the biggest losses of the 20-year war, of course, for the you know United States forces. And the Islamic State, otherwise known as ISIS-K for Islamic State Khorasan, has claimed responsibility for the attacks. And so the uh, amidst all this, this would uh, did not halt the American-led airlift, which has brought out more than 100,000 people out of Afghanistan in the last two weeks. And the New York Times writes that many of those were Afghans who had worked with NATO forces. I'm interested in seeing the breakdown among that because I've seen various numbers like, you know, out of 100,000, it was something like 7,000 were special immigrant visa holders, you know, like the people who really, really worked with us. And like there was like 5,000 Americans. So I'm like, okay, well, who are the other 88,000 that are flying all over? Are they just pa- are just throwing people on the planes? I'm, I'm just curious about that. Uh, so, of course, we uh, are going to be wrapping it up pretty quickly when it comes to this. I'm, I'm just, I want to di- divert here just because I have a new tab here with the actual map and I'm looking at it. The, over, the overhead, the uh, Google Earth map of it. And 
this was at the Abbey Gate. The Abbey Gate had been used by U.S. forces in the past week to screen people trying to flee the country. And then early Thursday is when we, the United States, issued urgent warnings for Americans to stay away from the entrances because that's where they thought they were going to hit if there was a strike. But even after that warning, there were thousands of people gathered outside. And like I said, they were packed into this narrow space. They're waving paperwork at all the Marines standing there. And uh, it, it's it's just it was just crowded. The pictures are just unbelievable. There's just thousands and thousands of people, and many people were forced to stand in a knee deep sewage canal. You probably saw that the crowds along the canal stretched hundreds of feet along the airport wall itself, and you probably saw the images on social media of like all those bodies just lying in there. Now. Tens of thousands of Afghans are seeking to flee the country, of course. And we're talking, this could be hundreds of thousands of people. And they just say people with ties to the U.S. military or American organizations. And as I stated in the past, that could be pretty much everyone. Now, traveling the airport is tricky. It often requires passing through Taliban checkpoints. There's not a lot of food and water over there. And it's uh, just kind of a crazy area right now. So let me go to the live updates page and see what the very, very latest is on here. And here's what's happening on our live updates page. Britain and France have ended their evacuations and the U.S. is preparing to wind it down completely as well. So Britain's evacuation of its citizens was ending today, Saturday, and the country is already starting to bring the last remaining troops back home. The U.S. State Department said today on Saturday that about 350 Americans were still awaiting evacuation from Afghanistan. Another 280 people who, quote, self-identified, end quote, as Americans, do not intend to leave or have not informed us of their plans. Um, what else here? France has ended its evacuations as well. On Saturday today, a Pentagon official said about 6,800 people had been evacuated from the airport over the previous 24 hours, bringing the total to 117,000 people evacuated since the operation began on August 14th. And they still think that hundreds of thousands of Afghans are still want to get out of the country, but they're pretty much saying like, well, you know what? We're, we're over it. As you can imagine with a huge fucking suicide bomb that just killed 13 of our people. And uh, the latest casualty count, by the way, up there is uh, they're thinking as many as 170 people died. This suicide bomb must've been fucking huge. So obviously the question is, did the Taliban let him go through? Because if, if it was that big, how could you miss that? Because the Taliban have the outer cordon, right, of security. And then they were allowing people to go through the airport, and then we would get security there. So that's the big question. Were they patting people down at all? How do you miss something this huge? Or did they just let him slip through, saying, fuck it, we'll just blame ISIS, or ISIS will take the blame? Were they working with ISIS? We just don't know. Uh, and, oh, here's a little nugget that happened today. I didn't, the first time I'm hearing this, 
Pentagon officials publicly acknowledged today the possibility that some of the people killed in the aftermath of the suicide bombing at the airport may have died in gunfire coming from American service members after the suicide bomber detonated himself. Wow. Uh, and then we did strike back kind of half-assedly. Uh, we did a drone strike in Nangahar province. And the Pentagon said that two Islamic State militants were killed and uh, one was wounded in that drone strike. They said that one of the targets was a planner and the other one was a facilitator. Both, they said, this is Department of Defense, were involved in planning attacks against Americans, although officials at a news conference today declined to say whether they were involved specifically in this Kabul airport attack. And they didn't give any names either. Uh, what else? Pentagon officials had previously said there was gunfire after the bombing, but were unsure where it emanated. And now they're kind of, that's why they think it might have come from the Americans at the gate, but they're not sure. Press Secretary John Kirby, Pentagon Press Secretary, said that they cannot confirm that, but they cannot deny it either. Uh the strike was carried out by a single MQ-9 Reaper drone flying out of a base in the United Arab Emirates. And it struck in Jalalabad, which is the capital of Nagarhar province. And yeah, they're claiming it did kill an ISIS-K planner known to U.S. intelligence analysts for developing a specific type of attack in the Kabul area. And that they believe the planner was involved in future plots against targets in Kabul as well the planner and his associate were actually driving in a car in Jalalabad when the drone's hellfire missile killed them good now remember sleepy joe biden has set a deadline of august 31st for complete withdrawal and that's kind of you know uh in line with what the taliban expects too they have said they will not budge on that they've kind of set a red line the taliban has saying that, hey, if you're here after August 31st, you're a target. A military official says there are now about 4,000 American troops on the ground in Kabul, down from a peak of 5,800. Oh, let's see, what else on the live updates page? Um, two Paralympians who were evacuated from Afghanistan have arrived in Tokyo. Huh, interesting. Okay. And these were Afghanistan um, competitors, obviously. And also, we destroyed a base. Finally, they got around to fucking destroying something before they left. Like I said that they should do months ago. Yeah, a controlled detonation by American forces that was heard throughout Kabul has destroyed Eagle Base. That is the final CIA outpost outside the Kabul airport. Wow, somebody fucking actually figured it out. Blowing up the base was intended to ensure that any equipment or information left behind would not fall into the hands of the Taliban. Duh! The Eagle base was a former brick factory. And it grew from a really small CIA outpost to a, like a huge uh, center that was used to train the counterterrorism forces of Afghanistan's intelligence agencies. And according to officials, those forces were some of the only ones to keep fighting as the government collapsed. A former CIA officer who served in Afghanistan, Mick Mulroy, said that they were an exceptional unit. And they were the last ones fighting, and they took heavy casualties. 
Um, this was uh, also where uh, near where the salt pit was. That was a detention site near Eagle Base, and they used to like uh, kind of fuck with the our detainees there. One time, a CIA officer ordered a prisoner named Gul Rahman stripped of his clothing and shackled to a wall, and he died of hypothermia. <laughs> CIA board recommended disciplinary action, but was overruled. Uh, one CIA former CIA contractor said that leveling the base would have been no easy task because in addition to burning the documents and crushing hard drives, sensitive equipment needed to be destroyed. So it did not fall into the hands of the Taliban. And the base's destruction, of course, had been planned. It was not related to the huge explosion at the airport, that suicide bomb. Uh, let's see, what else? And now we're basically partnered with the Taliban. And it's, uh, this is like just so fucked up, everything about it. I'll have more on the actual bombing in a little bit later. But uh, suffice it to say, they have released the names uh, officially of all 13 troops. And it was just uh, it was just horrible. Uh, we had, I believe, I'm just going off memory. It was a Navy corpsman, eleven Marines, and one uh, Army guy as well. The New York Times has a story where they highlight how crazy this has all been because one of the Marines who died was 20 year old Lance Corporal Riley McCullum, and he was eight months old on 9/11. And now he's one of the last casualties of the 20-year war in Afghanistan. And it was just a horrible story. His father told the story about uh, when he tried to check in with his son, he heard about the bombing, and Jim McCollum messaged his son Riley, quote, hey man, you good? End quote. But he never heard back. And uh, his son was gone. Just fucking horrible. Yep. Lance Corporal McCollum also was to, he was expecting a child as well. He just got married. Jeez. Fucking, and you wonder why, guys, why I've been screaming for us to leave Afghanistan for years, right? Was it worth it? One last fuck you from these terrorists to us, was it worth it? No, it wasn't worth it. So how about some of the deadly days of the global war on terror. Well, let's see. Let's go through a few of them. On December 21st, 2015, a suicide attacker uh, rams an explosives-laden motorcycle into a patrol. That killed six American troops. October 2nd, 2015, 11 people, including six U.S. service members, are killed when a U.S. Air Force C-130 transport crashed. Uh, December 17th, 2013, six U.S. service members are killed when a helicopter crashes. Uh, more and more and more. Let's see. March 11th, 2013, a helicopter crash in southern Afghanistan kills five American service members. And that was on the same day where two U.S. Special Operations Forces were gunned down hours earlier in an insider attack by an Afghan policeman. Of course, August 6, 2011, that was extortion 17. That killed 30 American troops and 8 Afghans. May 26 of 2011, 9 NATO service members are killed, including 7 U.S. troops when a bomb exploded in a field they were patrolling. 
Oh, God. You know, some of these I had forgotten about. Remember this one? April 19th, 2011. An Afghan officer killed eight U.S. airmen and one U.S. civilian during a routine meeting at an Afghan Air Force headquarters compound in, in Kabul. Uh, September 21st, 2010, a helicopter crashed in southern Afghanistan, killing nine. Three were Navy SEALs. One was assigned to the Naval Special Warfare Unit, and five were soldiers from the 101st Combat Aviation Brigade. Um, let's see here. October 26, 2009, 11 American soldiers are killed in separate helicopter crashes. God. This is a this this list just goes just goes on and on. Um, if you want to, oh here's the one. Oh here's here's the one. I was I was actually on February eighteenth, two thousand and seven. U.S. helicopter crashes in the Shajoy district of Zabul province, killing eight American troops. Yeah, that was fucked up. If you want to Google the rest of them, guys, uh, you can Google deadliest days for U.S. troops in Afghanistan, and it's on Al Jazeera if you want to look at the rest of it. But you just, like, look at it. You just, like, look at these, and it's, like, numbing after a while. And and, and the funny thing is, before this latest atrocity has happened, before the whole evacuation chaos, I mean, when is a lot people were uh, people weren't talking about Afghanistan, you know, like six months ago? Nobody cared. It was so far removed from the American public, like what was going on. Nobody was talking about Afghanistan. I would, even me, like who was, you know, do these kind of things. I would only refer to it periodically because it had kind of settled into like a long slog and not much was fucking happening. But over there, it's like a whole different world. Now, many of you did send me this story. Let's talk a little bit about these veterans who were trying to get people out of Afghanistan. These are like a bunch of retired guys. And it's pretty crazy. They're calling it a digital Dunkirk, you know, like Dunkirk from World War II. And uh, it's it's amazing what these guys have been able to accomplish. And I've, I've gotten a few messages from a few of them. But um, this is uh, pretty crazy. They decided to call it like uh, Operation Pineapple. And they thought, well, if the American government can't do this, then we have to get the people who worked with us out of the country. And it was pretty extraordinary. I'm sorry, they called it the Pineapple Express. Let me correct myself up there. And this was to shepherd hundreds of at-risk Afghan forces and their families to safety. So these groups were kind of working unofficially with the U.S. military and U.S. Embassy, but they were kind of... Uh, it was, it was, it was all using like encrypted apps. It was all using like, uh, satellite imagery, looking at Taliban checkpoints. And as of Thursday morning, the group said it had brought as many as 500 Afghan special operators, assets, enablers, and their families into the airport in Kabul. And they would hand them over to the U S military and then go back and get more. So, yeah, this is a, just an ad hoc group of current and former U.S. special operators, aid workers, intelligence officers, others with experience in Afghanistan. And one of the guys involved was Army Lieutenant Colonel Scott Mann, who's a retired Green Beret commander, and he kind of uh, was the head honcho on a lot of this. So the objective was to move individuals and families through the cover of darkness on what they called the Pineapple Express. And this 
was pretty, pretty, just pretty extraordinary. I'm sorry, guys. I'm just scrolling through. There's so much detail in this story. But for one guy, for example, they wanted to get one former Afghan commando who had served with Mann, the former Green Beret officer, into the Kabul airport because he was being hunted actively by the Taliban. They were texting him death threats because this guy had worked with U.S. Special Forces and all kinds of different uh, special operations units and killed a bunch of Taliban. So they uh, had to go get him, and they, they were using like encrypted chat rooms. Luckily, the small groups of Afghans would come across these Taliban foot soldiers, but the Taliban would like kind of fuck with them and beat them, but they never checked any identify, identity papers that might have revealed them as special operators who spent decades killing Taliban leadership. And these guys were preparing visa applications, new applications, all this, all this stuff. So pretty amazing stuff. And uh, shout out to all you guys doing that work. Uh, pretty awesome stuff. What else? Well, what's going to happen in the CIA? What's going to happen with the CIA? Those, that's like a question I had because as you know, we're leaving, right? So now what are they going to do? Well, they think that Afghanistan could kind of cycle the CIA back to where we were on September 11th, 2001, where we started working. Because as you guys know, probably, there are pockets of resistance inside Afghanistan to the Taliban, that so-called Northern Alliance group, right? They're still up there, and they're vowing to fight. So, of course, the CIA is probably going to hand them weapons training, and we'll be right back to square one. Uh, so they're going to try to see how the CIA is going to manage to do this. Are you going to be on a base in Afghanistan? Are you going to be able to do this from afar? Are you going to be able to launch drone strikes? All kinds of questions like that. It's definitely going to be a lot harder than what it is. What about ISIS-K, the Islamic State Khorasan? What's up with that? Well, what is it? Well, it's an Afghan affiliate of the Central ISIS group, obviously. It was founded in 2015 by disaffected Pakistani Taliban. They embrace a more violent version of Islam than the Taliban. That's right. They think the Taliban is too soft, if you can, if you can believe it. They disregard international borders, and they envision their territory transcending nation-states like Afghanistan and Pakistan. By the way, the name Khorasan translates to the Land of the Sun. Khorasan refers to a historical region that includes parts of Iran, Afghanistan, and Pakistan. Um, what else happened with the ISIS-K? Well, what were its roots like? Well... A branch of Al-Qaeda broke away, remember, from the main branch of Al-Qaeda, and they established a so-called caliphate, that Islamic theocracy in large parts of Iraq and Syria. And that was the ISIS that we, we all know and love. At their, at their peak, their territory was the size of, the, of Britain. And they were quite savvy about social media, much more so than Al-Qaeda. You guys remember all the, the uh, produced videos they put out of guys cutting people's heads off and burning cages, burning people alive, all that kinds of shit. So who are their enemies? Well, us, of course, but they also do not like the Taliban. They've been fighting for turf wars 
particularly in eastern Afghanistan, for a couple of years now. Since 2017, ISIS-K has been responsible for roughly 250 clashes with U.S., Afghan, and Pakistani security forces. And yes, more recently, ISIS-K leaders have denounced the Taliban's takeover of Afghanistan, saying that the group's version of Islamic rule was insufficiently hardline. <laughs> and remember, in October 2019, we killed the head of ISIS in Iraq. That was Abu Bakr al-Baghdadi. And, you know, it didn't matter, though. You cut off one head, another one grows in its place. Now, in 2016, one year after it was founded, ISIS-K was at its peak size with about 3,000 to 4,000 fighters, but they think that's been cut in half. And I believe, I'm just going off memory here, but I'm pretty sure, remember when we dropped the Moab in eastern Afghanistan? I think that was uh, for ISIS-K, and we just smoked the shit out of them right there. That killed a bunch of them. Uh, let's see a few other headlines here before I get to the audio clips. What about the refugees, evacuees, whatever you want to call them? Well, they did say at least 250,000 Afghans who may be eligible for expedited American visas still remain in Afghanistan. That's way more than interpreters and uh, other fighters, that's for sure. But... They're desperate to leave. They don't know how many total remain in the country. We don't even know how many. And more than a million Afghans who remain in the country, according to a report by the Department of Defense and analyzed by the Association of Wartime Allies, they said more than a million Afghans who remain in the country could be eligible for expedited immigration status. More than a million uh, yeah. Oh, here is a hard number, by the way. American officials said as of Thursday, it was 82,300 people had blown, had been flown out of Kabul. So we've kind of kicked that up to over a hundred thousand now. And now uh, people are wondering what, what are we going to do with all these people? Uh, and the Republican party for one is split on this because now many Republican Leaders have ac accused President Biden of abandoning the Afghan interpreters and guides. Um, but they also are concerned about who we're letting in here now. I mean, they, clearly they're not vetting hardly, hardly any of it. If it's that many people, if you're talking hundreds of thousands of people, are you think you really think they're checking in the background? Like how many people just got on and said, oh yeah, I worked with the Americans. And they waved him onto the plane. I don't know. Uh, also, two United States congressmen's congressmen's sorry congressmen went to uh, Kabul. They secretly flew there, and that was Seth Moulton, Democrat of Massachusetts, and Peter Meyer, Republican of Michigan. And this was an unauthorized mission. But they're both Iraq War veterans. They took a commercial flight to the United Arab Emirates, and then they boarded a military plane to Kabul. They spoke to State Department officials and U.S. commanders and troops on the ground. And this infuriated administration officials. That's funny because, you know, the, the White House is already annoyed by all the criticism they're getting. And Nancy Pelosi kind of blasted them as well. Uh, I have a 
clip of her doing that a little bit. But I'm glad, you know, I'm glad they went. You know, there should be accountability. You can't trust what the White House says. They've friggin' screwed up this whole thing from the beginning. So I'm glad they went. Good for them. Sometimes you just got to fucking, like, you know, the old saying, it's better to beg for forgiveness than ask for permission. Absolutely. I'm a big believer in that. As a matter of fact, here is uh, Nancy Pelosi being asked about the two congressmen. So let's hear what she says here. When did you learn that Congressman Bolton and Congressman Meyer had traveled to Afghanistan? And, and is that what prompted your letter instructing members not to travel to the region? When did I learn? Uh, around the same time, a little before it was in the public domain. I'll tell you why um, it wasn't in the public. We didn't make it known because it would be dangerous for them. So a matter of hours, but still until they were airborne, it would not have been uh, safe for them. Uh, the Secretary of Defense, Secretary of State, th there's a real concern about members being in the region. And so uh, with the, shall we say, uh, shall we say, knowledge of the Secretary of, the, of Defense as to what the risk would be to these members. Okay, all right, let me just start. She, I can barely listen to her. Meanwhile, she's holding fundraisers in Napa Valley. Yeah, you know, it's, it's funny because normally a congressional delegation or a CODEL is like a big deal as somebody who worked for the State Department doing security, right? It's like, it, And that's more of an indictment on the uh, pedestals we put these guys on. They should, if you want to go, go. Because like in Iraq, they'd fly and it was like a huge deal. You know, everybody had to get dressed up and you know there was like multiple teams guarding like three congressional schmucks. And it's like, dude, really? This is stupid. But yeah, if you want to go, go. I'm, I'm glad they did. Uh, one kind of cool story was a baby born on an evacuation flight, a C-17, uh, has been named after the aircraft's call sign. And they did name the little girl Reach. And that was the call sign of the C-17 that flew them from Qatar to Ramstein. So the Afghan mother who's not been named went into labor. And yeah. She was fucking gave birth right there in the plane. It was curious. So like what, what citizenship is that child? You know, you're like literally born with not in a country at all. And then also I wanted to address this because I saw this on social media a lot. And these were all the San Diego area students that were stranded in Afghanistan. Everybody's like, how horrible is this? Yeah. And it's not great, but. Let me caveat that a little bit, because after I read the article, these people were fucking dumb. First of all, they're El Cajon families, right? And they're, um, they're, they're pretty much, if I'm reading between the lines, all Afghan, Afghan people themselves. So, in other words, they have already been welcomed into America, and they decide, while the Taliban is fucking going around knocking, <laughs> knocking down post after post for the last six months... They decide now is a great time to go visit grandma. Yeah, that's right. They decide that even after we issued multiple travel warnings to them saying it's not a good idea for you to come to Afghanistan. And hey, I got a better idea. If you want to see grandma, why don't you fucking fly her here? Did that occur to you? And some of you guys were trying to tell me like, oh, no, no, they traveled in May and June. That was before the Taliban offensive. And I was like, no, that, that was before the the last couple weeks, but they were still on the offensive and there was still widespread fighting. So I'm not trying to hear that shit. It was not part of an organized trip. They just kind of 
had different dates. Yeah, many of the families arrived in Afghanistan in early May and June. Okay, yes, that's before the most recent crisis, but clearly the Taliban was still already knocking over uh, bases and seizing control of provinces. We, I've been, I've been talking about this for like six months now. I know for a fact, and if I know, they must know what's going on. They're friggin' natives. They speak the native language. So that was, that was stupid, dude. And here, here you go. Most of the families came to the U.S. on a special immigrant visa after having worked for the U.S. government. See, so you made it out. One guy says he came here on a special visa in 2015, and he decided he wanted to take his. Uh, Oh, this, this is a guy who said he would have gone back to Afghanistan for a summer vacation, but he didn't go this year because his son's passport had expired during the pandemic, so now he feels lucky. Yeah, well, these guys already got your special immigrant visa, and you want to go back? Not a good idea. And then there was this guy. How about uh, active-duty Marine Lieutenant Colonel Stuart Scheller? He publicly called out senior leaders in a widely shared video. Many of you sent this to me. And guess what? He has now been relieved of his duties. And that was as of yesterday. Because he decided to call out Secretary of Defense Lloyd Austin, Joint Chiefs of Staff General Mark Milley, and others for not raising their hands and saying, we screwed this up. Uh, So I am going to play... The clip, and I haven't heard the whole thing, but this is Lieutenant Colonel Colonel Stuart Scheller, USMC. And let's uh, hear how this goes. The reason people are so upset on social media right now is not because the Marine on the battlefield let someone down. That service member has always rose to the occasion and done extraordinary things. People are upset because their senior leaders let them down, and none of them are raising their hands and accepting accountability or saying, we messed this up. If an 05 battalion commander has uh, the simplest live fire incident EO complaint, boom, fired. But we have a secretary of defense that testified to Congress in May that the Afghan National Security Force could withstand the Taliban advance. We have chairmen of Joint Chief, who the commandant is a member of that, who's supposed to advise on military policy. We have a Marine combatant commander. All of these people are supposed to advise. And I'm not saying we've got to be in the in Afghanistan forever, but I am saying... Did any of you throw your rank on the table and say, hey, it's a bad idea to evacuate Bagram Airfield, the strategic air barriers, before we evacuate everyone? Did anyone do that? And when you didn't think to do that, did anyone raise their hand and say, we completely messed this up? I've got battalion commander friends right now that are posting similar things, and they're saying, you know, wondering if it, all the lives were lost and, and if it was in vain, all those, all those people that we've lost over the last you know, 20 years. And he goes on to say that we're all part of a chain. While every link may not be tested, the strength of the chain is only as strong as each link, and you got to be, you know, good link, something like that. And what I'll say is, and from my position, potentially all those people did die in vain if we don't have senior leaders that own up and, and raise their hand and say, we did not do this well in the end. Without that, we just keep repeating the same mistakes, this amalgamation of the economic slash corporate slash political slash higher military ranks are not holding up their end of the bargain. Okay, let me stop him there. Uh, You get the idea. Well, he has, as widely predicted by many of you, 
been relieved. So he's absolutely spot on, though. And then my last story before I get to the rest of the audio clips, guys, I wanted to uh, put this out. The Daily, the Daily Wire got a hold of an email. And this is from the Office of Naval Intelligence. And they, the office, has informed active duty and retired service members that they cannot condemn President Joe Biden amid the pullout of troops from Afghanistan. This was an email from the ONI chief of staff. And the email, I'm going to read from it directly in a moment, but the email reminded the members that per a uniform code of military justice, they cannot disrespect senior government leadership, which would include the president, vice president, Congress, secretary of defense, and more. So here is the email. I will read it, uh, part of it. Quote, given the heightened political and social atmosphere surrounding Afghanistan, it is important to remind our uniformed personnel, active duty, and reservists on temporary active duty, and military retirees of their responsibilities and obligations under Article 88 of the Uniform Code of Military Justice. While it is vital to protect the constitutional right of freedom of expression for these groups consistent with mission accomplishment, national security, and good order and discipline, it's important to remember certain limitations. Namely, uniformed personnel and military retirees are prohibited from disrespecting senior government leadership for example, the President, Vice President, Congress, Secretary of Defense, Service Secretaries, etc., end quote. Now, uh, first of all, let me say, a uh, fuck you, okay? As a retiree, you can fucking suck on my balls. I will criticize whoever the hell I want to. This is still America, last I checked. I don't owe you anything. Fucking ridiculous. I, I put it on Twitter at Bravo Kilo Actual, and a lot of um, uh, people are commenting on it as we speak. But like a lot of people, it's funny because, uh, you know, I, I seem to remember, and as I put on my tweet talking about this, do you remember when like all those 200 fucking generals and former intelligence idiots signed that letter uh, condemning Trump and voting for Joe Biden? Yeah, those are all re like retired generals and guys, nothing, it, and no memo was put out ever when they did that. And I reread that letter they signed, and it had a bunch of conspiracy theories and slamming of Trump. Remember, uh, remember the fake Russian bounty story? Yeah, it talked about that like it was real. So they're also spreading fake news in addition to being, according to this new email, violating the UCMJ. So yeah, as a retiree, no fucking way, dude. You don't run me, and I can say what I want. But uh, by all means, ONI, please come after me. You won't even last, dude. I'll flex the fucking 19-inch pythons right around your neck. The last thing you see before you go to sleep will be the rippling veins running down the unnaturally bronzed skin of those pipes. And your last thought will be like, my God, that is a color I've never seen in nature before. And that's going to be it. Then lights out, baby. That's all. Okay, so let me get to the audio clips. I'm going to start with a little bit of a mosh-up of Sleepy Joe when he made the speech after our service members were killed at the Kabul airport. So you're going to hear it's a, basically, like I said, like a couple different clips all spliced together. So let me hear them uh, play this. A tough day. These American service members who gave their lives... It's an overused word, but it's totally appropriate here. We're heroes. 
Heroes who've been engaged in a dangerous, selfless mission to save the lives of others. We have some sense, like many of you do, what the families of these brave heroes are feeling today. You get this feeling like you're being sucked into a black hole in the middle of your chest. There's no way out. My heart aches for you. To those who carried out this attack, as well as anyone who wishes America harm, know this. We will not forgive. We will not forget. We will hunt you down and make you pay. We will not be deterred by terrorists. We will not let them stop our mission. We will continue the evacuation. I've also ordered my commanders to develop operational plans to strike ISIS-K assets, leadership, and facilities. We will respond with force and precision at our time, at the place we choose, in the moment of our choosing. Here's what you need to know. These ISIS terrorists will not win. We will rescue the Americans in there. We will get our Afghan allies out. And our mission will go on. America will not be intimidated. And I have the utmost confidence in our brave service members who continue to execute this mission with courage and honor to save lives and get Americans, our partners, our Afghan allies out of Afghanistan. Do you bear any responsibility for the way that things have unfolded in the last two weeks? I bear responsibility for fundamentally all that's happened of late. Our interest in going was to prevent al-Qaeda from reemerging, first to get bin Laden, wipe out al-Qaeda in Afghanistan, prevent that from happening again. As I've said a hundred times, terrorism is metastasized around the world. We have greater threats coming out of other countries, a heck of a lot closer to the United States. We don't have military encampments there. We don't keep people there. We have over the horizon capability to keep them from going after us. Ladies and gentlemen, it was time to end a 20-year war. Thank you so much. Okay, and there he goes off to it. Uh, okay, uh, more clips, and then I'll just uh, wrap it up with my thoughts here. Let's. Uh, well, I played a lot of these already. That was all kind of condensed into that one clip. So, let's see here. Um, oh, here I didn't. This wasn't in there. Did you guys see that story? where we apparently gave the Taliban a list of American names because stupid fucks that we are, we're like, well, here's the list of names that we want people to be able to get to the airport. So could you guys make that happen? And, and he was asked that question. Same. I can't tell you with any certitude that there's actually been a list of names. I know there may have been, but I know of no circumstance. It doesn't mean it's not, it didn't exist. That here's the names of 12 people. They're coming, let them through. Yeah, that definitely happened. That definitely happened. Here is a hapless, bumbling Secretary of State, Anthony Blinken. Or is it Anthony? Those weird names. Uh, here he is saying that they are relying on the Taliban to permit safe passage for Americans. We're relying... The Taliban have made public and private commitments to provide and permit safe passage for Americans, for third country nationals, and Afghans at risk going forward past August 31st. The United States, our allies and partners, and more than half of the world's countries... 114 in all, issued a statement making it clear to the Taliban that they have a responsibility 
to hold to that commitment and provide safe passage for anyone who wishes to leave the country, not just for the duration uh, of our evacuation and relocation mission, but for every day thereafter. Yeah, I really friggin' doubt that's going to happen. Uh, let's see. And this is weird. This And this is kind of going around right-wing media where Joe Biden said he was given a list of people to call on, and he says he was instructed to call on somebody. Let's hear this. Ladies and gentlemen, they gave me a list here. The first person I was instructed to call on was Kelly O'Donnell of NBC. Okay, isn't that, isn't that weird? I, my first question, if I was the chick from NBC who was going to call, I'd be like, well, I had another question, but first let me ask you, who instructed you? You're the president of the United States. Who is instructing you? You're the fucking guy. You're the fucking uh, big dog. The big cheese. Very bizarre. Uh, let's see. What other audio clips do I have for you? Oh, here is uh, that uh, aforementioned Pentagon spokesman, John Kirby, talking about all of the ISIS-K prisoners released uh, that happened. ISIS-K. How many ISIS-K prisoners were left at Bagram and are believed to have been released from the prison there? And why weren't they removed before the U.S. pulled out to someplace like Gitmo? Well, um, I, I don't know the exact number. Clearly, it's in the thousands when you, when you, when you consider uh, both prisons, because uh, both of them were taken over by the Taliban and emptied. But I, I couldn't give you a precise uh, figure. <laughs> That's great, isn't it? Thousands, thousands of terrorists just released. Uh, this one also, I, I kind of am going to defend this guy a little bit. This was Biden's Afghanistan ambassador, Ross Wilson, and he's talking about Americans who are still in Afghanistan. And People chose not to leave. That's that's their business. That's their right. Uh, I, I, we regret now that, that uh, many may find themselves in a position that they would rather not be in. Okay, so he was getting a ton of crap for that, but dude, honestly, I agree with him. Like, you can't make people leave, and I'm assuming a lot of the people he's talking about are uh, uh, Afghan Americans. I mean, why else wouldn't you leave? You know what I mean? If you're just like a, a, another American, of course you're going to leave. But if you don't want to leave, you know, we can't make you, and that's on you. If you get your head cut off by the Taliban six months later, oh well. Uh, and then Trump spoke on the Kabul attack. Haven't heard a Trump clip in a while. Let's uh, hear this. As one nation, America mourns the loss of our brave and brilliant American service members in a savage and barbaric terrorist attack in Afghanistan. These noble American warriors laid down their lives in the line of duty. They sacrificed themselves for the country that they loved, racing against time to rescue their fellow citizens from harm's way. They died as American heroes and our nation will honor their memory forever. I want to express my deepest condolences to the families of those we have lost. Today, all Americans grieve alongside you. Together, we also pray that God will heal the other courageous American service members who were wounded in this heinous attack. In addition, our hearts are with the families of all the innocent civilians who died and with the many men, women, and children who were terribly injured in this act of evil. This tragedy should never have taken place. It should never have happened. 
and it would not have happened if I were your president. <laughs> Over the past few weeks, Jesus. I know that many Americans have felt profound sorrow and even pain watching the events taking place in Afghanistan, and perhaps none more so than the veterans of that 20-year war. Many of them answered the call proudly and without hesitation after the terrorist attacks of September 11, 2001. Every American who served in Afghanistan has made tremendous sacrifices for our country. On behalf of your fellow citizens, I want you to know that those sacrifices were not made in vain. We know what you did. We know how brave you were. And we thank you. We salute you. And we honor you for all time. I hope that every American will join me in continuing to pray for the safe return of all U.S. citizens and soldiers from Afghanistan in the coming days. Thank you. God bless you. And God bless America. All right, Trump. There he is. I love how he throws in the election thing, just always. And then finally, for my last clip, haven't played this guy for a while, but O.J. Simpson decided to weigh in on Afghanistan, and I figured, why not? I've not heard this clip at all, so let's listen to O.J. Simpson as he addresses Twitter world. Hey, Twitter world, it's me, yours truly. Well, I watched the president's speech today, and he's getting a lot of criticism, and a lot of it is deserving, I would say, but I still believe that the people to blame the most was the Afghan government and their, their army. They're the ones that should burden carry most of the burden of what's going on right now. Uh, we have to get our people out and the people that helped us. What bothers me is when I see the media, these uh, people on TV uh, uh, criticizing uh, the president and others when they suggest that they're going to ask the uh, Taliban to maybe help us get our fellow Americans and the people that helped us out of there. Hey, they're in charge of the country. They're politically empowered. It's their country right now. Why shouldn't we have them help us? They say because they're a terrorist organization. Hey, the Afghans, uh, uh, they worked with the Al-Qaeda because they were helping them get Russia out of their country. They worked with them because they were helping them get us out of their country. Let's not forget that. Okay, I can't. All right. O.J. Simpson, uh, political pundit. Very good. All right. So that's all uh, in Afghanistan. Uh, just to wrap it up, I don't know. What can you say? 13 young people, 13 more Americans dead, 13 families who lost somebody else. I told you many years ago, I didn't want a single American to die over Afghanistan anymore, which is why I totally supported the pullout. And there is a bit of hypocrisy because, yes, we all know, because there's a lot of focus on, like, a lot of people are saying, like, well, we need to, you know, send the troops back in there and go get them. And I'm like, well, then we'd be right back where we fucking started, dummy. Yes, the evac was completely botched. It doesn't take a fucking brain surgeon to realize you started, started evacuating people like six months ago when you established a pullout date. And Sleepy Joe, you were president as of January, and you knew that date was coming up, right? You didn't do anything. You didn't start evacuating. You didn't start getting clearing out the embassies. That should have all been done a long time ago, and as, as, especially with the interpreters and other guys who fought, actually fought with us. Again, I'm a little leery of letting in hundreds of thousands of Afghans in the United States just because they once delivered gasoline to a base or something. I mean, that's not the same level 
as a guy who is actually out in the field with our troops, in my opinion. But it was it's a it's just it's horrible. And there was like one last fuck you from Afghanistan to the United States, those thirteen people dying. And they were almost all in their early twenties. I saw there's like there's like two females as well. And people have been passing around their last social media posts on Instagram. And it's it's just it's just sad. It's very, very sad. And um what what can you say? I mean, if it was my way, we would have been out of there 10 friggin' years ago. But, you know, we have a enormous military-industrial complex in this country, and I really do believe that they're a big reason why this war has gone on for 20 years. Raytheon wants to sell those Hellfire missiles, or whoever makes them. The drones, the ammo, the weapons, the scopes, all the gear that's come about from the GWAT. I mean, shit, when I, it's changed so much. Just the gear alone has changed a ton since I was in Afghanistan in 2007. And a lot of people made a lot of money. War is a good business. War is a racket, as the great Marine Corps officer Smedley Butler once wrote. You guys can go look that up. He called it. Now, what he, what he, when did he write that? Like 100 years ago, he wrote War is a Racket? Yeah. Well, that shit's never changed. All right, guys. That is going to do it for Afghanistan. And uh, hopefully, because the deadline's August 31st, that'll be the end of that. Let us move on with a pop quiz. Here we go. If you guys get this, you're pretty good. Who is Anders Breivik? Anders Breivik. Anders Breivik. You guys know this one. Come on. If you guessed he is the Norwegian mass murderer, you would be correct. Yes, Andres Breivik detonated a car bomb outside the prime minister's office in Oslo 10 years ago and killed eight people before driving to that island called Utoya Island and shooting dead 69 people at the Labor Party youth camp. And yeah, as of July, it's been 10 years ago. So why is he in the news? Well, they are about to hear his request for parole. That's right. He is serving. Remember, Norway has a maximum sentence of 21 years. So that can be extended indefinitely. So it's a, it's a little, when I first read it, I was like, oh my God, but it's a little disingenuous because yes, you can extend it, but that's the only, they can only give you 21 years. And then if at the end of it, they decide you're still a psycho, they can add another 21 years, I suppose. But he is eligible to seek parole after serving the first 10 years of his term. And the prosecutor's office did reject his application for early release. So that meant it will now go to court. And that's what uh, that's what they're going to do. So the central question of the court, for the court during the hearing will be whether there is a danger of the recurrence of Breivik's offenses. Uh, no date or final venue for the hearing has been set. The prosecutors want to actually hold the hearing in his prison. So I mean, he's still a pretty young guy. I'm looking at a picture. He's probably like uh, I don't know. I guess like early 40s, maybe mid 40s, something like that. So. Yeah, he could be out. He killed a shitload of people. And uh, yeah, that was, I still remember. They made a great documentary about that as well. Uh, let's see, what else? Let's go to Japan, where the Japanese health authorities said this week that they would halt the use of over 1.6 million doses of Moderna's Coronas 
vac- coronavirus vaccine after some vaccination sites reported finding tainted vials. And remember, Japan initially struggled to get their vaccination program into full gear, and they are confronting their worst wave of COVID-19 cases since the pandemic began. Uh, and I'll, be, I'll have much more on our coronavirus update later. But unspecified contaminants were discovered in nearly 40 doses of the vaccine at eight locations across Japan. That prompted the decision to pull the lot that included them, as well as two other lots of vaccine produced at the same location. Um, the chief cabinet secretary, Katsunobu Kato, said that an unknown number of people had been vaccinated with the contaminated doses, but the government has not received any reports of ill effects. Uh, If you're wondering, about 43% of Japan's population is fully vaccinated, and they are now administering over a million vaccine doses each day. They don't think this is going to have a major impact on the overall vaccination program. I wonder if they're still going to have to pay for those lots. Just curious about there. And uh, also Japan is currently hosting those uh, Paralympics. Those opened on Tuesday. Uh, Speaking of Japan, a roller coaster in Japan has shut down after riders report broken bones. This is one of the world's fastest roller coasters. It has been closed after four passengers in the last nine months reported bone fractures. And this is called the Do-Do-Dompa roller coaster. And this is in the Fuji-Q Highland Park. The ride opened in 2001. And it can go from a standstill to 112 miles an hour within 1.56 seconds. Crazy. Uh, Two women and two men in their 30s and 50s suffered fractures of the neck or backbone between December and this month. Um, A park spokesman said that they inspected the tracks and equipment and reviewed the roller coaster speeds but did not find any issues and that was a spokesman named Kimi Konishi and Konishi said quote we should have reported earlier now we hope the injured people will recover as soon as possible end quote and that's a spot on impression you guys I'm, I'm not joking that she's not, I listened I hunted her down talked to her on the phone she sounds exactly like that Okay, how about some, it's a lot of this, a lot of bad news, especially with Afghanistan. Let's go to a few stories here. And here's a, here's a headline, and yes, I'm going to click on it every time. Man cuts off own penis during police chase. <laughs> oh, this is in Tennessee. A man cut off his own penis and threw it out of the car window while being chased by cops in Tennessee. This was 39-year-old Tyson Gilbert, who allegedly heard voices from the radio telling him to do it to, quote, save the world, end quote. So Gilbert led the cops on a two-county chase after he was reportedly approached by trooper Bobby Johnson, who had spotted his car parked partially in the roadway. And Johnson said, yeah, he pulled up, turned his lights on, the guy just took off. And finally, he did turn off the road eventually, came to a stop, and he was naked and covered in blood. And then, oh, and then he shut his door and kept driving. So they had to use spike strips and everything else. Uh, the, The story's funny. It closes with saying, it was not disclosed if he was under the influence of any substance during the chase. I'm betting, yeah. 
And as long as we're talking about people severing their penis, let's go to the 34-year-old from Birmingham, the UK, who deliberately chopped off his penis during a suicide attempt. Well, the doctors were able to reattach his penis, and yes, he has been able to achieve an erection. They have they have pictures of this in the British Medical Journal Journal case reports if you really want to go look at it. But this guy had a history of mental illness, paranoid schizophrenia. And they found him lying there. Yeah, and his, his penis was cut off. So his penis was taken on ice. It was put on ice. They took him to the hospital. By the time he was resuscitated and put into the OR, his penis had been detached from his body for 23 hours. For the best chance of surgery being a success, previous case studies have found that the penis needs to be replanted, <laughs> replanted within 15 hours. Well... This one was uh, stretched that time out, but yes, they did attach the severed part of his penis to the stump, took a piece of vein from his arm to get the blood flowing again, and uh, fitted with a catheter. And uh, now, six weeks later, spontaneous erection has been achieved. So, oh, oh God. Also, he was given a skin graft a few months later after the skin on the shaft of his penis started to rot. And this is apparently the documented longest penis reattachment in medical history. So, very good. I love technology. Uh, Let's see. How about a couple of heads of state stories? Let's go to Bolivia. And Bolivia's ex-president apparently tried to kill herself. Yeah, this is a president, former president, Janine Anez. She is in stable condition after she tried to apparently take her own life after prosecutors charged her with genocide over the deaths of protesters in 2019. Um, she's 54. She was detained earlier this year over accusations that she participated in that coup to get rid of longtime former president Evo Morales in 2019. She has denied those allegations, and she is saying she's a victim of political persecution. And she's in jail, awaiting trial. So they announced the genocide charges against Anez over two incidents in November of 2019, in which a total of 22 people died in clashes with the police, and those victims were supporters of Morales. She also is facing charges of terrorism, sedition, and conspiracy. Uh, her family has repeatedly asked the government to transfer her to a hospital for treatment of hypertension and other conditions. Well, apparently she tried to, uh, wax herself. She came to power in November of 2019 after Morales resigned and then fled the country following weeks of violent protests over his controversial reelection to an unconstitutional fourth term. So she got sworn in as interim president as the most senior parliamentarian at the time, but her political opponents denounced it as a coup. Uh, So under her administrations, Bolivia did hold peaceful elections in October of 2020, and that's when Morales' protege, Luis Luis Arce, won a landslide victory, and he subsequently promised to uh, pursue those he accused of staging that coup. So... Good luck to her. What about this guy? Another 
president who was jailed. Uh, I'm probably going to botch this pronunciation, but this is the former president of Chad. His name is Hisene Abre, and he was jailed for war crimes. He received a life sentence for crimes against humanity, including torture and sex offenses. Uh, this was, uh, he was 79 years old and apparently all these crimes against humanity happened during his rule in the 1980s. However, he was not in prison at the time of his death. He had spent 10 days in a nearby clinic receiving treatment for complications of diabetes. He was allowed out of prison for 60 days in April, 2020 after a judge said he was particularly vulnerable to the coronavirus. His wife had long petitioned the Senegalese authorities to release him on health grounds. So this guy was the first former head of state to be convicted of crime against humanity by another country's courts. So he was the former defense minister. He took power in 1982 in a coup backed by the United States, by the way. And once in office, he received weapons and assistance from France, Israel, the United States to keep Libya, their northern neighbor, at bay. Well, he had a violent rule. Prisoners of war and political opponents were killed, but the Reagan administration did keep supplying him with weapons so he could keep fighting Libya, led by Colonel Muammar al-Qaddafi. You guys remember him. Well, a truth commission found that Abre's government had killed more than 40,000 people believed to be enemies of the state, including those who had merely come under suspicion. He then lost power in 1990 in the same way he had taken it, in another coup. So he then fled to Senegal, taking $12 million from the national bank accounts with him. <laughs> For years, he lived quietly in coastal Dakar, the country's capital. He would buy properties there, and uh, the government kind of uh, left him alone. But the president of Senegal at the time was a guy named Abdoulaye Wade. And then he stepped down, and his successor, a guy named Mackie Saul, it's a great name, decided to try him, and they set up a special court with the African Union to do so. That was called, that court is called the Extraordinary African Chambers. Oh, this is funny. On the first day of his trial, Aubrey was dragged into the courtroom, kicking and shouting insults at the judge. Quote, down with colonialism, end quote. He screamed. And then afterward, he sat through the testimony of dozens of his victims, and he was eventually convicted. So he has, uh, yeah, so he's uh, he's dead. Very good. Okay. When you guys sent me this one, you know I like the archaeology and all that stuff. This is pretty cool. Scientists said this week that they had discovered a 43-million-year-old fossil of a previously unknown amphibious four-legged whale species in Egypt. This is so cool. That helped trans this helped traces the transition of whales from land to sea. So this newly discovered whale belongs to the Protocetidae, a group of extinct whales that falls in the middle of that transition. So they found this in Egypt's western desert, which is an area once covered by sea. <laughs> Yeah, remember like I always say, guys, global warming, where we have deserts where seas used to be and seas where deserts used to be, it's nothing new. I know everybody panics because it's happening in our time as well, but this has been going on for a billion years. That was just a side side rant. 
This new whale is named now Phyomycetus anubis. It had an estimated body length of some 10 feet and a body mass of about 1,300 pounds. They think it was likely a top predator. It's pretty cool. Oh, they have pictures of the partial skeleton they found. This is awesome. Yeah, they said this is a key new whale species. And uh, despite these recent fossil discoveries, the big picture of early whale evolution in Africa is largely a mystery. This sea, the desert where the sea used to be, is apparently a rich spot for these fossils because discoveries in this area range from semi-aquatic crocodile-like whales to giant fully aquatic whales. So now they're like, think this might bridge the gap and, uh, in some of those land versus sea whales. That's very cool. Uh, let's see. Oh, how about this one? Parole board is recommending release of Sirhan Sirhan. Remember him? Robert F. Kennedy's assassin. Yeah, California parole commissioners recommended on Friday that Sirhan B. Sirhan should be freed on parole after spending more than 50 years in prison for assassinating Robert F. Kennedy during his campaign for president. So this doesn't necessarily mean he will walk free, but it most likely puts his fate in the hands of bumbling Governor Gavin Newsom, who, of course, is facing a recall election, so he doesn't want to do anything. I have more on the uh, recall later. This was the 16th time Saran had faced parole board commissioners. And it was the first time no prosecutor showed up to argue for his continued imprisonment. You know why? Because of new Los Angeles County District Attorney, I've talked about him several times before, George Gascon. Yes, George Gascon has made it a policy for prosecutors not to attend parole hearings. You believe this fucking guy? He says the parole board has all the facts it needs to make an informed decision. Well, you know, because the prosecutor's office is there to represent the family of the, you know, the, the people who were murdered. That's what they do. And they show up to put like a face and make an argument. Yeah. And, and George Gascon, because he has this bizarre love of murderers, just can't have that. Sirhan says he has little memory of the assassination itself. Oh, bullshit. Remember, the assassination, this was, in a, this was in front of hundreds of people. Like, how could you not have a memory of this? This is shortly after midnight on June 5th, 1968, when Kennedy uh, gave a speech at the Ambassador Hotel in Los Angeles following his victory in a Democratic primary in California. He was a senator from New York at the time. So after his speech, he's walking through the hotel's pantry, and Saran shot him with a revolver. Five other people around Kennedy were shot as well, but they all survived. He died the next day, less than five years after his brother, President John F. Kennedy, had been assassinated. And you know what this was all about? This was all about fucking Israel. Yeah. Sirhan Sirhan's Palestinian. He was born in Jerusalem. But he said in an interview in 1989 that he had killed Kennedy because he felt betrayed by the senator's proposal during the campaign to send 50 military planes to Israel. Um, yeah, so they argued, oh, he's improved himself by going to various classes in prison. God. Now, this was split. 
in the Kennedy offspring. Douglas Kennedy, one of the Kennedy's sons, attended the hearing on Friday. He urged the commissioners to release Sirhan Sirhan, who, by the way, is a Jordanian citizen who would likely be deported. He actually said this. Douglas Kennedy told Sirhan at one point, quote, I do have some love for you, end quote. What a weirdo. However, a majority of Kennedy's children issued a statement late on Friday opposing his release, and the Los Angeles County Sheriff's Department had submitted a letter to the board that said it was on behalf of the Kennedy family. Hmm. Uh, Robert F. Kennedy Jr., That's that, isn't that that anti-vax crazy guy? He met with Saran Saran in 2017, and he also thinks Saran should be released. Uh, yeah, they are split over it, and yeah, I, I don't know. Like, wh- why bother at this point? Just, uh, just let him die in prison. Uh, speaking of prison, it's pretty crazy. A judge has sentenced an 84-year-old man in a 1976 double homicide, and yes, he got conve- consecutive life sentences. A jury convicted Raymond Vanny Wenhoven in July of killing 25-year-old David Schuldis and 24-year-old Ellen Mathies. They were found shot in McClintock Park in Marinette County. This is in Wisconsin. This was a case that was dormant for decades before investigators used a DNA sample to make an arrest. The couple that was killed was engaged to be married and had planned to camp in the park. They were about to go for a walk when someone shot him shoulders and then the killer chased Mathis down sexually assaulted her and then shot her twice in the chest god in 2019 investigators determined that the DNA sample taken from evidence at the crime scene came from the Vanny Winhoven family and then they got a DNA sample from the dude himself because it was obtained from a licked envelope for a survey on police performance that he filled out that's funny matched the sample from the scene. So then he was charged in March 2019 with two counts of first-degree international intentional homicide and one count of first-degree sexual assault. They did dismiss the sexual assault charge because the statute of limitations had expired, but there is no statute of limitations for homicide. So, yeah, good. Yeah, man. I, you know, I got a lot of respect for these cold case investigators. They just don't give up, you know, which is great. All right, well, excuse me. I just choked a little bit of my water. <laughs> Let's see. Let's go to this one. The Supreme Court has ended Joe Biden's eviction moratorium. That's right. This has been ongoing for a while. They rejected the administration's latest moratorium on these evictions, which does end a political and legal dispute during the coronavirus pandemic. <clears throat> So the court issued an eight-page majority opinion, an unusual move in a ruling on an application for emergency relief. Of course, the court's three liberal justices dissented. Um, now, you know, th- you know they have all this rental relief money? They handed out $46.5 billion in aid. Only about $5.1 billion of that has been dispersed. And that was as of the end of July. And this is the fucking bureaucratic delays at the state and local levels. So this opinion said 
the Center for Disease Control and Prevention, who issued the eviction moratorium, had exceeded their authority, which seems obvious. Like the CDC, nobody elected the CDC. Such a moratorium would have to come from Congress. And then even then, I don't know if it would be constitutional, because basically you're seizing a landlord's property and saying you, you no longer control your own property. Uh, so what the opinion said, quote, the CDC has imposed a nationwide moratorium on evictions in reliance on a decades-old statute that authorizes it to implement measures like fumigation and pest extermination. It strains credulity to believe that this statute grants the CDC the sweeping authority that it asserts, end quote. Uh, so yeah, they said this is pretty straightforward, at least the sane justices did. And, oh, here, yeah, the opinion went on to say, just as I said, quote, if a federally imposed eviction moratorium is to continue, Congress must specifically authorize it, end quote. Yeah, Congress loves handing the shit over to the courts because they, that way they don't have to answer to, to any voters. Um, in dissent, Justice Stephen Breyer wrote, quote, the public interest is not favored by the spread of disease or a court's second guessing of the CDC's judgment, end quote. Well, you don't have that authority. That's it. And landlords who have said the moratoriums have saddled them with billions of dollars of debt have hailed the move. Um, they said they, they got to move on from this past policy. This is going to take a while because there's a huge backlog now of eviction cases. Uh, but yes, that's right. And then right next to that, the Daily Mail had a story. I know I have to go to British tabloids to get like good stories. But they have a story about a New York Air Force veteran and her young daughter who are living out of her car after being unable to evict tenants who refused to pay rent for almost a year under this eviction moratorium. Her name is Brandy Lacasse. She owns three properties but hasn't been paid rent in almost a year and is owed more than $23,000 in uncollected rent. She has also not received any of those rental assistant funds that I talked about earlier. Um, what else about this? Yeah, she's been left effectively homeless. And she said, quote, I don't understand how they can give my private property to somebody to live for free. I bought that property, end quote. Yeah, I, that's it right there, right? Um, her tenant, one of them, they, they, they interviewed the Daily Mail. She was approved for rental assistance, but told CBS News that she cannot pay rent because of the high cost for child care for her daughter and autistic son. Um, yeah, well, I don't know what to do. You know, I, I don't know. That's a, it's a tough deal, but everybody, you know, and on social media too, boy, nobody, everybody thinks these, these landlords are, they have this like weird comic book image of a landlord, you know, who's like a guy who's smoking a cigar that he lit with like a hundred dollar bill. He lit on fire, shit like that. That is not the reality. Most landlords are like small business owners. I know a few of them, you know, they have a few properties they fix them up. It's like an income for them. But everybody bashes them. And I've actually seen these fucking left-wing losers saying, oh, well, they shouldn't have invested in property if they thought it was a bad investment. I'm like, moron. It's only a bad investment because the government decided that you didn't have to pay rent. And what about that? Where do you, where's your bashing the people not paying rent? I mean, you have a responsibility. You signed for it, right? 
Okay. Let's now go to the recall update. And guess who's coming to campaign for Governor Gavin Newsom? That's right. Sleepy Joe himself is going to come campaign before the recall election, of course, on September 14th. If you live in California, you've already gotten a mail-in ballot. And you can also go vote in person, which I intend to do. So Biden had previously said he was going to come campaign for him, but a lot of people were wondering whether he would back out of the trip because of all the shit going on in Afghanistan. But according to press secretary for Biden, Jen Psaki, she said that Biden still planned to go to California. She did not have a date for the media at this point. Uh, Let's see. The coronavirus pandemic and all his corruption have obviously made the recall gather steam. And it was plenty of signatures to trigger the recall as well. In California, there are 22 million registered voters set to receive ballots by mail. One more time, it's two questions. Question one, should Newsom be recalled? Two, if so, who would you like to replace him? The leading candidate to replace Newsom is Larry Elder, the conservative radio talk show host. And Vice President Kamala Harris also is supposed to return to the Bay Area this week to, I don't support Newsom. Like, anybody gives a rat's ass what she thinks. She's a joke. Um, and what else about the recall do I have here? Um, well, this was pretty crazy. Did you see this story? And it disappeared. Where Torrance police find 300 unopened recall ballots with gun, drugs, and mail in a sleeping man's car. Yeah, and now there's... I checked before the uh, podcast. There has been zero update to the story. All I know is that they've let the guy go on bail. But this was made in August 16th, this discovery, when Torrance cops were called around 10.45 p.m. about a man sleeping in his car at a 7-Eleven parking lot. And yeah, loaded handgun, some narcotics, and over 300 election ballots. Police say the man was a felon. The drugs found included Xanax and meth. (laughs) God. (laughs) Yep, he was taken into custody but has been released on his own recognizance. Police still don't know how he obtained the ballots and what his intent was. Uh, They did say the election ballots were untampered with and unopened, primarily from addresses in Lawndale and Compton. They're supposedly all the people, because they have a barcode that matches a specific ballot to a specific voter and an address, so apparently all the people whose ballots got stolen, because clearly that's what this is, will receive a new ballot with a new barcode. Um, The county registrar's office said that there is no indication that the ballots were taken specifically in an attempt to influence the results of the recall vote. Well, what else would it be? And gee, which way, which team do you think he was on? Do you think he was pro Newsom or anti Newsom? I think I'm pretty fucking comfortable going out of limits saying he was uh, pretty pro Newsom, or at least hired by pro Newsom people. And also, apparently, a lot of people do not know about this special election on September 14th, which is bad for Newsom. Um, 
the New York Times sent out a bunch of reporters to go talk to people about it, which is funny because, you know, they mentioned this article that I'm scrolling through right now. They uh, talked to a lot of Latinos, and they, they say it's all about the fear in the Latino community is acute that Newsom's successor might roll back rights for undocumented immigrants. Well, according to polls, Latino vote voters are by far the highest group who wants to see Newsom recalled. So go figure that one out. And quickly, this was funny. I saw this on Twitter. Somebody, uh, somebody paged recalled Newsom at the airport, and it went over the whole airport's intercom system. Yeah, you can hear it. <laughs> okay, that was good. And anything else about Newsom? Oh, since I had to, since I found this and was was exposed to it, now you guys have to be exposed to it. Here is a TikTok influencer, and she is singing a anti-recall song. Let's uh, hear this. I got this my ballot and I'm ready to vote. A nope, no, 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 no. He got shots and arms and a surplus too. Let's keep California blue. Baby got ballot. Oh, Lord. <laughs> My eyes are blind. Okay, so there's your recall update. Let's do a little bit more here and go to the Thai police chief wanted for allegedly torturing a suspect to death. This is the Thai police chief. He's nicknamed Joe Ferrari. His real name is... Thitasan Utanafan. And he admitted to mistreating this suspect but denied any corruption. He has uh, turned himself in. But he had fled his post after a video showing the apparent torture and killing of a drug suspect was leaked. So this footage, which was reportedly filmed by a junior officer, shows several policemen wrapping plastic bags around the head of a 24-year-old arrested for selling methamphetamine pills. The suspect had allegedly refused to pay a bribe. And so now, Ferrari, I'll just call him by his nickname, and six others at the police station, about uh, 150 miles north of Bangkok, have been accused of being responsible for the fatal incident. This, the former police chief went on the run, but then he finally decided to turn himself in. Uh, it is not... Uh, he, had a, he had a little press conference uh, but they usually don't allow suspects to speak to the media immediately after their arrest. But he claimed the suspect's death was an accident. He said, quote, I did not intend to kill him. I intended to get the information so I can destroy the drug business, end quote. He didn't deny that the, the suspect's head was covered. He said it was the first time he'd ever treated a suspect this way. He said multiple bags were used to cover the suspect's head because he kept trying to remove them. Hmm. Yeah, the video does show attempts to revive the man, but he died from suffocation anyway, and uh, Ferrari told his subordinates to list the cause of death as a drug overdose. <laughs> yeah. You think this guy doesn't take bribes? Check this out. His nickname comes as an apparent reference to his expensive tastes, because on Wednesday, when they went to search his house, his luxury estate, by the way, 
they found 13 supercars. I don't know if they're all Ferraris or not, but yeah. So this police chief is making a shitload of money. So of course he probably takes bribes. Good stuff there. Uh, let's see. How about the this one is a this one is amusing. Do you guys hear about the kid who was on the he was the naked baby on the cover of the Nirvana album Nevermind? Remember him? He is suing the band. Uh, the one-time naked baby is now 30-year-old Spencer Eldon. He was four months old when he was photographed by a family friend in 1991 drifting naked in a pool that was taken at the Rose Bowl Aquatic Center in Pasadena, California. And it would be used later that year for the cover of Nevermind. And that was Nirvana's incredible second album that pretty much uh, defined the Seattle sound right there. And in the decades that followed, Eldon appeared to celebrate his part in the classic cover. He recreated the moment for the album's 10th, 17th, 20th, and 25th anniversaries, although not nude. He said in a 2016 interview with the New York Times, New York Post, I'm sorry, he said, quote, it's cool but weird to be part of something so important that I don't even remember, end quote. He actually posed with the album cover in that 2016 interview at 25 years old, but now he has filed a federal lawsuit against the estate of Kurt Cobain and Dave Grohl, the, of course, former member of Nirvana, and Chris Novoselic, and Cobain's widow, Courtney Love, and then along with a bunch of producers and stuff like that. He's claiming that they profited from his nude image. Uh, Nevermind is one of the best-selling records of all time. It sold at least 30 million copies worldwide. And according to the lawsuit, it read, quote, defendants knowingly produced, possessed, and advertised commercial child pornography depicting Spencer, and they knowingly received value in exchange for doing so, end quote. And they're claiming that Eldon suffered permanent harm because of his association with the album, including emotional distress and a lifelong loss of income-earning capacity. <laughs> the lawsuit did not provide details about the losses and said they would be disclosed at trial. He's claiming, Eldon, who is an artist now, by the way, who lives in L.A. County, that he has gone to therapy for years to work through how the album cover affected him, according to one of his lawyers. A, uh, she said, the lawyer, quote, he hasn't met anyone who has not seen his genitalia. It's a constant reminder that he has no privacy, end quote. I mean, it's, it's a little baby, you know, babies get naked, dude, you know. But yeah, Eldon wants 150000 from each of the 15 people and companies named in the complaint, including the guy who took the picture named Kirk Weddle. Uh, the photo of Eldon was picked from among dozens of pictures of babies Weddle had photographed for the album cover, which uh, Kurt Cobain wanted to show a baby underwater. And Weddle paid Eldon's parents $200 for the picture, which was later altered to show the baby chasing a dollar dangling from a fish hook. So I guess that was added in that part. Um, what else about this? Uh, Eldon actually said in a documentary in 2015 that the album cover had opened doors for him. 
For example, he once worked for Shepard Fairey. You guys remember him? He's the artist who painted that famous Barack Obama picture, the red and blue one that said Hope. Yeah, that guy. And Shepard Fairey was actually sued by the Associated Press, by the way, for using their photograph of Barack Obama for that piece. <laughs> uh, yeah. So it sounds like he just like wants uh, wants some money to me because he's never once said anything about this in public other than to be like, oh, yeah, that was pretty cool. But all of a sudden, it's like a big deal. One of the lawyers said that Cobain once suggested putting a sticker over the baby's genitals after there was pushback to the idea for the cover. Well, Kurt Cobain, who, remember, died in 1994 of suicide, said the sticker should read, quote, if you're offended by this, you must be a closet pedophile, end quote. So now Eldon is also asking for Nirvana to redact the images of his genitalia from the album cover. Hmm. Yeah, that's that's interesting. And then they bring it and then they bring in a few lawyers to discuss, well, what is child pornography? Like is is a naked child just a picture of it, child pornography? Because you know, there's naked kids on the beach like every day. You see like naked babies constantly, right? And yeah, so it's uh, th- that's that's why they say they, they ask one professor here, that, and she says nudity of a child alone is not the definition of pornography. The typical child pornography that is being seen in law enforcement and pursued in the courts can be violent. The children are young and it is very graphic. So there are factors under federal law that allow a judge or jury to determine whether a photo of a minor con- constitutes a lascivious exhibition of the genitals, including if they were the focal point of the photo. Okay, so if you have the whole baby in the picture, a naked baby, that's not generally like child porn, but if you like zoom in and that's the whole focal point, then that's child porn. See, this shit gets complicated. That's why they argue it in court all the time. All right, father and sons are charged in a $21 million lottery fraud. Ali, Jafar, and his sons Mohammed and Yusuf cashed in more than 13,000 Massachusetts lottery tickets, allowing the actual winners to potentially avoid paying taxes or child support. Hmm. Yeah, so <clears throat> federal prosecutors said uh, they took a look at the, the, you know this one guy cashing in more than 13,000 winning lottery tickets, and they were like, that's not possible. But by the way, those lottery tickets, again, $21 million. And they started looking at this guy closely. So they've been charged with a dozen counts of fraud, money laundering, tax evasion, et cetera, et cetera. So what they do exactly? Well, from 2011 to 2019, the Jafars claimed the prizes on behalf of the actual winners. That way, the winners could avoid having their wages garnished, or the winnings garnished, for unpaid taxes, child support, which is a requirement for any prize over $600 in Massachusetts. And then the Jafars would falsely report six- and seven-figure gambling losses on their tax returns, allowing them to drastically reduce the taxes they paid on the winnings. Hmm. They raised the suspicions of lottery officials in Massachusetts, where prosecutors said that 63-year-old Ali Jafar was the top individual lottery ticket casher in 2019. And then his son... One of his sons ranked third, and the other son was fourth. So then they were like, hey, 
And so the Massachusetts State Lottery Commission temporarily suspended the three men from cashing lottery tickets. And the Jafars challenged that in Superior Court in Boston in 2019, and they lost. <laughs> and then, so they, they actually went to court, which probably aroused the suspicion of law enforcement even more, and they decided to look into it. That's funny. It's not uh, clear whether they're all in custody or not, but pretty pretty good stuff. Oh, and federal prosecutors said that Jafar had paid less than $24,500 in federal taxes on $15 million in lottery winnings and that he had received $886,000 in tax refunds for bogus gambling losses from 2011 to 2019. That's funny. Boy, it's scammers, huh? Nice try. Nice try. Probably just should have shut up for a while, though. Uh, let's get your OnlyFans update. They have reversed their decision, talked about last week, to ban explicit content. Yes, after everybody went ballistic on social media. Yeah. OnlyFans, uh, remember, it's like a subscription service. And this uh, enabled individuals over the age of 18 to sell and buy monthly subscriptions to a feed of images and video that is too uh, sexual for Instagram or Facebook. So these creators, some of them built a lucrative business. So OnlyFans, remember last Thursday, said it would ban sexual activity completely starting in October. And all these sex workers, I'm using their words, not mine, freaked out about it because they were like, this is my whole business. So then after a few days went by, the company reversed its decision they claimed originally that it was because they needed some venture capital money or something. Well, when they reversed their decision, they said, quote, we have secured assurances necessary to support our diverse creator community and have suspended the planned October 1st policy change, end quote. <laughs> they interviewed some guy named Matthew Camp, who they describe as a por uh, performer who posts gay pornographic content multiple times a week. Lord who said in an interview that he saw the company's proposed ban as a means of paying lip service to credit card companies that have grown increasingly uncomfortable with processing pornography-related transactions. Hmm. The company said it had reached an agreement with its payment processors. Uh, that's funny. You know, the first... They, have the, they, had, they talked to the first OnlyFans content creator, Danny Harwood. She became the first one in 2016. And now she's moved from her on-camera work into running a management company with more than 200 OnlyFans creators as clients. Now, OnlyFans had claimed they didn't have a lot of choice to, but to change the rules because those credit card companies are simply too powerful and they have this growing wariness of processing payments for pornography uh, because th there are some f legitimate financial concerns. Consumers of porn are among the most likely to dispute transactions. And credit card companies also don't want to process payments for material around which issues of consent later arise. Or maybe uh, the chick looks a little too young or the dude a little too young, that kind of thing. Because then they could be on the hook. Um, wow. Harwood, she 
said she never posted actual sex on her feed, but she was making upward of $50,000 a month from subscriptions and special requests. Men paid her to take on dares, like answering the door naked and driving around in her underwear. Man, I don't know. I, I do think you have to be a huge simp to give a chick on the internet money. That's just my opinion. Hey, make, if it makes you feel good, I, I guess do it. But man, it's not good. All right, uh, this one's a ugly story here. Brace yourself. Let's go to Iowa. A 76-year-old Valparaiso man is in custody on charges of paying an Iowa woman for photos and videos of her having sex with her 8-year-old son. <laughs> Jesus. Um... Yeah, well, the chick is an idol. I don't know where Valparaiso is because, of course, the newspaper, the website I'm looking at doesn't say where they are. But the, the woman was an Idaho. So the 8-year-old victim's mother is named Jessica Peters and the 76-year-old guy is named Henry Winchip Sr. He's been charged with felony counts of child exploitation and possession of child pornography. She has been charged with incest, secondary sexual abuse, and sexual exploitation of a minor. This came about when the father of the child told police he found videos on his cell phone of his 33-year-old girlfriend, Peters, performing various sex acts with one of their sons. And then text messages showed Peters sent the videos and photos to Winchip in exchange for money. Gross, dude. Peters told them that she had known Winship since she was a teenager and had done odds and ends work at his home in the past. Well, that evolved into her sending sex videos with her kid for cash. She is denying that the male in the videos in question is her son. She's claiming it's an adult that she and her husband met at a local convenience store and he provided them with pain pills. Ugh. The 42-year-old father reportedly told police his girlfriend approached him recently with a request from Winship for the woman to perform sex acts on video with her son. The father informed her he had no interest in participating. Yet when in the hospital for treatment of COVID, the, f the father told cops he was going through his phone, and that's when he found the videos involving their son. You, you would Imagine finding that. He thinks he, the father's saying he is 100% positive that the male is his kid. Wow. Anything else in this? The child said the videos were shot at their apartment and a hotel where they used to live in Iowa. Oh, the boys claiming that his father would sometimes hold the phone to record the videos. All right, this is very convoluted. I, I don't know what the hell is going on here. But at the end of the day, Winship wired the woman $187 for this, these alleged acts. Wow, all kinds of people out there. All right, what else? Uh, let's do our COVID update. Quickly, latest case count. Total reported cases in the United States, 38,745,199. That is a plus 21% in the 14-day change. Total reported deaths, 636,491. That is a plus 95% in the 14-day change. 
the Delta variant continues to drive up new case totals across the U.S. More than 90,000 coronavirus patients were in the hospitals nationwide, more than in any previous surge except last winter's. Deaths have risen to an average of more than 1,000 a day for the first time since March. This is uh, uh, very much uh, in the south. This is very serious down there. In Florida, they've been higher. Kentucky's been higher. Some western states have also struggled with Delta, including those with relatively high vaccination rates. Cases in Oregon have remained at record highs since mid-August. Did you see the Oregon governor? She now uh, is demanding that people wear masks outside. Yeah, nobody's going to do that. They do continue to state vaccines remain highly effective against hospitalizations and deaths. Uh, the average number of vaccine doses administered per day has increased steadily throughout the month from roughly 816,000 shots on August 1st to more than 878,000 shots on August 27th. Some hard-hit areas are getting leveling off curves. Louisiana and Missouri, among the first places with summer surges, have now seen sustained declines in recent weeks. Herd immunity. Uh, also, Denmark has said that COVID is no longer a, quote, socially critical disease, end quote. They say that they have fully vaccinated 80% of their residents over age 12 and that they are going to drop all COVID restrictions as of September 10th. They have reported a total of 342,866 virus cases and 2,575 deaths. So as of September 10th, the country will phase out the last of its important restrictions, including having to show coronavirus passes at nightclubs and sporting events. Uh, let's see. And then there's always going to be these. The media loves these stories. A leader in the anti-mask movement in central Texas named Caleb Wallace became infected with the coronavirus and has been in an intensive care unit for the past three weeks. Yeah, he, he's, he's basically dying. On Saturday, today, he will be moved into a hospice. He's 30 years old. He's lived in San Angelo for most of his life. And they have set up a GoFundMe to take care of him. Earlier in the month, Wallace had organized a freedom rally for people who are sick of the government being in control of our lives. And he founded the San Angelo Freedom Defenders, a group that hosted a rally to end COVID-19 tyranny, according to a YouTube interview with him. That's ah, not good. Uh, according to San Angelo Mayor, uh, he believed that the coronavirus was a hoax and they felt the government was being too heavy-handed when it came to masks. Well... This, how many times have I told you, hey, I'm pro-vaccine, always have been. If you guys don't want to take it, I'm certainly, uh, I'm certainly, we, this is America. You shouldn't have to put anything in your body that you don't want to, but there could be consequences, including this guy. And it's, I do realize that it, being 30 years old, this is almost in, unheard of for somebody to die at age 30 for coronavirus. I mean, it's a tiny, tiny, tiny percentage chance of doing it. But it can happen. So it's unfortunate. But you guys do what you want to do. I know a lot of you guys listening uh, do not plan on wearing a mask. And hey, that's your right. But just know that there could be consequences to it. Uh, how about some audio clips about coronavirus? Did you hear uh, Busta Rhymes, the rapper? He started shouting about masks at some concert. Let's <laughs> hear it from this. In the last 15 fucking months, 
and suck a dick. We outside. All these little weird-ass government policies and mandates suck a dick. I'm trying to take our civil liberties away. Feels good to be back outside. We outside for real. Yeah. All right, there's Buster Rhymes. He said, uh, stop trying to take our civil liberties away. Uh, here is in, uh, here's a guy in Michigan. He's at a board of commissioners meeting, and this is a guy who does not believe in masks. So let's hear this one. Have- Dan Vanderswag. Okay, this guy's going to walk up to the podium. That's my father-in-law right there speaking on behalf of my, his grandkids. <clears throat> you with that diaper on your face, if he farted right now, could you smell it? That's how stupid this is. We're all playing games here with people's lives, and I'm sick of it. I represent all these hardworking guys that couldn't be here today to take off work to put up with this BS that you guys are putting down. And there's hell coming. There's hell coming, and I'm not doing it to threaten anybody. But there's a lot of good guys out there ready to do bad things soon. Watch what's coming. These, these mandates are against the Nuremberg Codes. The first one states voluntary informed consent. Are you a Nazi? <laughs> what is it? Mm. You send, they send my dad off to Vietnam and, and fight for the country, but you're going to tell him to wear a mask? Sir, um, <laughs> sir, I appreciate the fact that I can't control myself. There's a lot of other guys that control myself that can't control themselves. Talk to me. That's Talk why they're me. not here right now. Somebody. I have nothing else to say. Do what's right. There's a lot of bad things coming. All right. Jeez. All right. Bad things coming is what he said. Uh, and uh, also Joe Biden. Uh, he said that parents should not let their children leave home without wearing a mask. Yeah, the right. That's so let me happen. say this as parents, to the parents. As you have, you have the tools. You have the tools to keep your child safer. And two of those tools, above all, are available to you. One, make sure that everyone around your child who can be vaccinated is vaccinated. Parents, adults, teens. Two, Make sure your child is masked when they leave home. That's how we can best keep our kids safe. All right, there you go. Put it when they're out there. When they're out there at the playground, make sure they're all wearing masks. I guess I don't know. Uh, let's see. The, what about the any more on the live updates page? Well, we know the Delta variant does carry a higher risk of hospitalization. That's according to a large new British study at the Lancet, and. They also said that fewer than 2% of the Delta infections occurred in fully vaccinated people. Again, it is very, the vaccines work to keep you from getting seriously hospitalized or dying. Now, remember the Delta variant is roughly twice as infectious as the original virus and as much as 60% more transmissible than the Alpha variant. And that was the one that was first identified in Britain. Uh, by the way, Hurricane Ida is coming to shore and, uh, that's going to hit Louisiana and they're really worried about it because Louisiana is one of the States that's dealing with a lot of COVID cases right now. And they're telling people to get out of Louisiana now 
because if they if the hurricane comes, they're not going to be able to evac people. They got too many people dealing with COVID patients. Uh, the U.S. Open, the tennis tournament, will require proof of vaccination for fans. Florida has a big surge going, and it's a worse one than states with similar vaccination rates, and they're they're really not sure why. And many in the U.K. are flouting pandemic rules, even as cases rise. That's a, you cannot keep people locked up forever. You just can't. It's tired. You just can't do it. What did I say like friggin' 18 months ago? This is a calling of the herd, which is why you want to maintain the jacked and tanned lifestyle. Oh, and finally, American intelligence agencies did a big uh, review into the origins of the coronavirus, and uh, it was inconclusive. (laughs) They were trying to determine if it was a result of a leak from that lab or if it emerged more naturally. And uh, the nation's spy agencies are unlikely to reach a conclusion without more cooperation from China or a new source of information. And also, there are calls growing to discipline doctors who spread virus misinformation. The Federation of State Medical Boards, which represents the groups that license and discipline doctors, recommended last month that states consider action against doctors who share false medical claims, including suspending or revoking medical licenses. Wow. And that is your Corona update. I mentioned Hurricane Ida. Uh, It is a rapidly strengthening storm. This storm could be among the strongest to hit Louisiana since the 1850s. It's already hit Cuba, and it's supposed to hit Louisiana tomorrow, Sunday, which is, by the way, the anniversary of Hurricane Katrina. The notorious uh, hurricane, was that 2005? Yeah, they think this is going to be historic. Um, It passed through the Cayman Islands as a tropical storm, made landfall in Cuba on Friday as a Category 1 hurricane, and it's now a Category 2 hurricane, and they expect it to strengthen into a Category 4 hurricane before hitting the state. And it could hit Louisiana with sustained winds of 130 miles per hour on Sunday. Again, the 16th anniversary of Hurricane Katrina. So they're telling people to get out now. Of course they won't. Okay. What else? I just want to, I'm going through, I'm, I'm checking out a few audio clips here. Because I want to make sure I get to them. Uh, let's do these two. A lot of you guys sent me this one. This was the female soldier who said, like, hey, you civilians don't stand a chance if they tell us to come at you American citizens. This is a pretty... What's up, TikTok? So this happened. This is a message for our United States military. The Air Force, the Army, the Marines, the Navy, Coast Guard, SpaceX. SpaceX? You mean the program that was made by the guy who makes Teslas? Space Force, my guy. Moving right along. Everybody that considers himself a, a person that would defend this fucking country... Where are you? I'm at work, defending this fucking country. We thought the military took an oath to protect this country. They took an oath to protect our Constitution. That includes enemies, foreign and domestic. We did take that oath to protect and defend the Constitution against all enemies, foreign and domestic. You know, domestic. Like a woman who decided to drive her vehicle through a National Guard vaccination tent. But keep that same energy. Where are you, military? Because if you're leaving it up to the American people, you need to let us know because everybody's on the edge of their seat. 
You've got millions and millions of gun owners that are ready to walk out and just start a complete fucking bloodbath. And we're beginning to wonder where our fucking military... I mean, I'm no expert, but that sounded like a terroristic threat. Because not you talking about a bunch of gun owners going out and starting a bloodbath. Like, have you never heard of the Insurrection Act? There's reasons why the military doesn't deploy within the U.S. And if they did, your little good old boy system is not going to fare well for you. Understand that if active duty military actually get deployed within the United States, that weapon is not just pointed at other people, other countries. It's pointed at you. If you do not get in your house when I tell you to, you become the enemy. Martial law. You know, where your rights get curtailed. You don't have all those same freedoms that the Constitution guarantees at that point. So be careful what you wish for. And stop opining about things you don't understand. Okay, bye! Okay, I should I should also point out that this is a soldier in uniform, by the way. Which is an interesting choice. <laughs> or making a TikTok video telling American citizens how you're going to point guns at them while you're in uniform. Uh, then this was, a couple of you guys sent this to me too. Trump had a rally. Uh, it's the, really the only thing I miss about him is, is the rallies. Especially, you know, when you'd point at the cameras and be like, oh, look at all the fake news back there. God, it was so funny. So here he is talking about being woke. And let's hear this clip. You know what woke means? It means you're a loser. Everything woke. Everything woke. It's true. Everything woke turns to shit. Okay? <laughs> Look at what's happening. There he is. I do I do miss the rallies. I do miss them. Uh quick, a couple military stories. Remember that Fort Jackson drill sergeant who was on video and I played the video at the time and he was confronting that young black kid in his neighborhood and he like pushed him or something and then it turned into a whole fucking like Black Lives Matter bullshit thing. Well, he was suspended from work, and this is Fort Jackson Army Sergeant Jonathan Pentland. A judge has found him guilty of assaulting a black man in that Columbia, South Carolina neighborhood. And of course, then like a bunch of like activists showed up at the guy's house screaming. They wanted to drag him outside and beat him to death or something. So he was sentenced to either 30 days in prison or a fine of $1,087. This happened... And they, he was charged days after video hit social media showing the army sergeant yelling at the man and telling him to get out of the Barony Place neighborhood in his uh, area. And Pentland became physical. Uh, he shoved him or something like that. But they said this was based on behavior by the alleged victim before cameras were turned on and that Pentland was justified in his actions. Do They, they don't name the... They don't have the kid in here named. Um, or do they? Uh, do, 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 do. This is very... Story by Stripes is written horribly. Um, I'm scrolling. I, this, it has to be in here. <laughs> uh, no, they don't. They don't have his full name in here, but they then later use the kid's last name. His kid's, the, the kid was named Williams. That's his last name, but they never give his full name. Well, witnesses had claimed that Williams was acting erratic, and Williams' own father testified that his son suffered potential brain damage after suffering from lymphoma. And now he's, like, all just uh, fucked up in the head. And Williams frequently would approach one of... Pentland's neighbors, somebody named Kimberly Hernandez, 
And he would approach one of Hernandez's daughters while she was walking the dog throughout the neighborhood. And then on a separate encounter, Williams allegedly picked up a baby belonging to Hernandez's daughter-in-law. And following that incident, Hernandez's daughter-in-law went outside and confronted Williams, saying he had no permission to touch her child. Uh, So she called her to come back in the house. The daughter-in-law came back, but Williams followed her. And then Williams got so loud and got so close to Hernandez, he was spitting in her face. And that's when seeing Hernandez and Williams arguing, neighbor Renee Wilson testified that she called 911 after hearing a man and woman screaming louder and louder at each other. Hernandez called out for somebody to call 911. And oh, by the way, the neighbor Renee Wilson, she is African-American. Not that it should matter. So around right when she was calling 911, Hernandez and Williams stopped the argument. Hernandez went over to Pentland's house, ringing the doorbell and banging on the door. And that's when he came out and said, hey, get the fuck out of the neighborhood. Yeah, he, he's way, Pentland is way bigger than Williams, and he just tells him to get him out of the neighborhood, blah, 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 and that's what happened. So, so he, uh, he got, he was found guilty. I don't know, it seems kind of fucked up, dude. Like, you're defending the neighborhood? I don't know about that one. How about this story? A fucking college kid has graduated from the Army Special Forces Underwater Operations School. SFUO, that's right. The Combat Diver Qualification Course. The notoriously difficult combat diver course. And a junior at a state school and a member of the ROTC. Yes, they do allow cadets to go to CDQC. She has finally, she's graduated. She'll be the first woman to ever graduate from the Combat Diver Qualification Course. And she was also chosen as the Class Honor Graduate. Yeah, this is a very high attrition rate school. Um, it's uh, I've talked about it a few times before. It's considered the toughest school in the Army. And yes, indeed, a female cadet has now graduated this. That's wild. I mean, good honor. I saw like um, I saw a picture of her in, around uh, Twitter. And she is like jacked for, for real. And, you know, it's, it's not uncommon for, uh, you know, seasoned Rangers and Army Green Berets to fail CDQC. I remember when I was there, like we, we, like a third of the class didn't graduate, the original, the original class. And everybody there was either you know, a Ranger, a Green Beret, a PJ, a combat controller, uh, et cetera, et cetera. And a lot of them didn't graduate, and they were physical studs. So... Yep, very good. What else with the military? Oh, let's go to the Naval Academy. 18 people have been expelled or resigned from Naval Academy after that cheating inquiry. Remember that? When the Academy administered a physics test last year, they had to be flexible because of COVID-19 stuff, and so a lot of it was like um, online. It was online. So 650 people took the online exam, 105 were investigated but because they appeared to have used unauthorized resources. So yes, 18 of them have been expelled or resigned, and 82 have been placed in what they call a five-month honor remediation program, whatever that means. Yeah, they should just all kick them out. Okay. 
Let's see. Oh, some of you guys sent me this one too. A zoo has banned a woman for having an affair with chimpanzee from seeing the chimp. Okay. She didn't have like a physical affair. I know that would be way funnier. But a woman in Belgium has reportedly been banned from visiting the chimpanzees at a local zoo after developing a close bond with one of them. According to zoo officials, this little uh, friendship, whatever you want to call it, with the primate was preventing him from bonding with the other chimps. So this nut is named A.D. Timmermans. She has been visiting a 38-year-old chimp named Cheetah at the Antwerp Zoo every week for the past four years. In that time, she claims that she and Cheetah have forged a strong relationship. I love that animal and he loves me, Timmerman said in an interview. <laughs> Their relationship has consisted of the two waving and blowing kisses to each other throughout the glass. On the surface, the interactions seem harmless, but zoo officials say their friendship has proven detrimental to Cheetah's social status with the other chimps. So they're saying, you're banned, you're done. Uh, this one is great, too. Remember that kid who sued his parents for getting rid of his porn stash? I think I covered it like a year ago or something like that. Oh, eight months. Yeah, well, a judge has ordered a Western Michigan couple to pay $30,441 to their son for getting rid of his giant box of porn. 43-year-old David Working did sue his parents. He said they had no right to throw out his collection of films, magazines, and other items. Working had lived at their Grand Haven home for 10 months after a divorce before moving to Indiana. The judge followed the value set by an expert? <laughs> How much is a fucking VHS tape of porn worth when you can get literally terabytes and terabytes of it freely on your iPad? His dad said in an email, quote, frankly, David, I did you a big favor getting rid of all this stuff, end quote. Well, the judge didn't think so, and now he's got to pay 30 grand, plus 15 grand in attorney's fees. And speaking of porn... Ron Jeremy, the adult film star, has been indicted on more than two, 30 counts of sexual assault involving 21 women over the past two decades. Yeah, he's accused of sexually assaulting the women over a 23-year span between 1996 and 2019. The victims range in age from 15 years old to 51. Oh, boy. He has pleaded not guilty to 12 counts of forcible rape, seven counts of forcible oral copulation, six counts of sexual battery by restraint, four counts of sexual penetration by a foreign object, two counts of sexual penetration of an unconscious or asleep person, and one count each of lewd act upon a child under the age of 14 or 15, sodomy by use of force, and assault with intent to commit rape. <laughs> Damn, dude. He's 68 years old, and he is uh, being confined to the Twin Towers Correction Facility in Los Angeles on a $6.6 million bond. He's pleading, he's pleading not guilty to everything, so we'll see. Okay, how about, a few more, uh, how about a few more audio clips from the libs? Here's a teacher mocking the American flag and suggests to students they can say the Pledge of Allegiance to the pride flag. Okay, so during third period, we have announcements, and they do the Pledge of Allegiance. I always tell my class, 
Stand if you feel like it. Don't stand if you feel like it. Say the words if you want. Don't have to say the words. So my class decided to stand but not say the words. Totally fine. Except for the fact that my room does not have a flag. It used to be there. But I took it down during COVID because it made me and um, I packed it away and I don't know where, and I haven't found it yet. <laughs> but my kid today goes, hey, um, it's kind of weird that we just stand and then, you know, we say it to nothing. And I'm like, oh, well, you know, I gotta find it. Like I'm working on it, I got you. <laughs> in the meantime, I tell this kid, we do have a flag in the class that you can pledge your allegiance to. And he like looks around and he goes, Oh, that one? And there's the pride <laughs> flag. Okay, so during pride period, we have a... Oh, these there. people. God. Uh, let's see. What else for my audio clips are the good... I want to get to the best ones. Here's a massive fight in some classroom. I don't have any details on this, but I'm just going to play the lead up to it. And uh, here you can hear it yourself. Because you know I will beat the fuck out of you. Okay, yeah. Bitch, I will dog your okay. ass. All that. Okay. And Okay. Nobody's there they go. <laughs> and there's that. There's now like eight people fighting, and the funniest shit is it's like some white lib teacher, guy teacher, who's like standing in the middle of all this. Bunch of black chicks just fucking beating each other up. Uh, here is a high school teacher coming out as non-binary to his students during class. I'm about oh, to come out to all my students. So I have a quick announcement for everybody. Can everybody look up from their phones? My class is important, please. Hello, I'm waiting. You guys look at me. So I usually go by Mr. Johnson, but I would like to be called Zoa now. My name is Zoa and I'm non-binary. So you can call me Mr. <laughs> Zoa. You can call me Miss Zoa. You can call me Mix Zoa. That's M-X period. And I go by all pronouns. That's it. Thank you. Great. Good for you. Look at me. Give me attention, everybody. Apparently, his students have also mastered uh, reading, comprehension, mathematics, science, everything else. That's funny. Zoa. And let's see. Where's the one I really wanted to get to? Oh, here it is. Here is a... Well, by all accounts, a biological male. He is in a very plunging neckline dress and heavy makeup. And they are saying that the phrase protect women and children is used to marginalize non-binary people. I oh, great. non-binary. I hope everyone knows that we need to protect the women and children has been used against marginalized people for most of human history. These comments upset me because it's anti-trans, of course, but also it strikes me as anti-your-own-daughters, anti-young people anti-women if you are a young person if you're a daughter if you are a woman would you do me a favor please let all of the men in your life know that you can take care of yourself let them know you don't need protecting 
and that you especially don't want protection if it means erasing trans people from public life. Okay, yeah, you're on. Deal. No problem. I'll just tell uh, every girl that's in my life that, uh, hey, you don't need me when you walk down that dark alley because... And especially don't want me, right? Because uh, I'm, I'm erasing trans people or something. I don't know. I couldn't keep up with it. All right. Let's uh, keep going here. There's a, here's a few different uh, stories about people pleasuring themselves. First of all, <laughs> a man was masturbating in his car when he crashed in Fresno, California. Yeah, he crashed into two cars. 31-year-old Asbed Veselian pulled his pants down while driving and started to pleasure himself in northwest Fresno. 10.15 in the morning. And then he got out of the car following the crash and he just walked off. <laughs> okay. So there's one. Another one. How about a woman? This is a rare one. A woman pleasuring herself in public. Yeah, a woman was arrested after being caught masturbating with her vibrator on a Georgia beach and told cops she thought no one saw her. Police say she was not drunk and she was not on drugs. Hmm. Very good. Uh, Christina Revels Glick, 34 years old. Uh, about 5.30 p.m., a fellow beachgoer heard her moaning. And Glick then retrieved an unknown item from her backpack, spread her legs apart, and started uh, freaking going to town. The unknown item did, yes, later turn out to be a vibrator. <laughs> she didn't think anybody saw her. And unfortunately, somebody did. She apparently finished because she did it for about five minutes. And then she packed her things up and left for uh, a restaurant. And they picked her up on the, at the restaurant. That's funny. She said it happened really quickly, so she she thought she was safe. You gotta be careful. And let's see, where's the? Um, I want to get to this other one too. Where is it? Uh, sorry, guys, interesting. Oh, here we go. Another guy driving. I told you guys before. I don't know how people drive and do this at all, but this is uh, a man, a Crown Point man. I think this is also in Wisconsin. I'm not sure it doesn't say, but it looks like the same website I used earlier. A Crown Point man is facing charges after he was seen pleasuring himself and driving nude on U.S. Route 30. A female driver in a semi-trailer was heading east on U.S. 30 when she saw a nude man driving while masturbating. And it appeared the man was waving his hands at the woman, so she snapped photos of the nude man in his car and license plate to give to police. The vehicle owner was 42-year-old Robert Stalin of Crown Point. And he told police that he was pleasuring himself while talking to a woman on a smartphone app as he drove home. <laughs> I just can't. You can't do it. It's too distracting. I just can't get into it. All right. Quickly, California's gig worker law is unconstitutional. You remember last year when more than $200 million was spent on campaigning for a state proposition that insured workers like Uber and Lyft drivers are considered independent contractors? That was Prop 22. They said it was unconstitutional and unenforceable. So the decision is likely not to immediately affect the new law. And it will certainly face appeals from Uber and other so-called gig economy companies. So last year's Prop 22, that was a ballot initiative backed by Uber 
and DoorDash, Lyft, etc., carved out a third classification for workers, granting gig workers limited benefits while preventing them from being considered employees of the tech giants. But the unions filed a lawsuit challenging the constitutionality of the law. And so, yeah, it... The, the judge ruled that it violated the Constitution because it restricted the legislature from making gig workers eligible for workers' comp. Uh, inmates are running wild on Rikers Island, apparently. They have an ongoing staffing crunch. And inmates there are now stabbing each other, answering the phones, running through corridors, destroying maintenance equipment. Yeah, on last Sunday morning, three inmates from the Folk Nation gang jumped a Bloods member, slashed him in the face. At the time, 26 corrections officers were working quadruple shifts. 35 were on triple shifts. And 30 patrol posts across the area were unmanned as the jail grapples with an ongoing staff shortage. So if you want to be a prison guard, go over to New York. Um, Let's see here. Let's do... What's this one? If I can just close off all the pop-ups. Oh, here's one. A uh, Davenport man was found guilty by a jury for strangling a 74-year-old man and stealing his car. 20-year-old Charlie Gary was convicted of the first-degree murder, mur- murder of Robert Long. And he was also charged with abuse of a corpse slash sex act. Hmm. Well, they said that Gary strangled Long and then abused his body before stealing his car and other possessions. The defense argued that Gary was a prostitute engaged in a sex act with Long when the older man died, so he took his possessions as payment. Well, that didn't work. He was found, he was found guilty. Uh, wow. So the... State's attorney described the victim as a father and grandfather who had hired Gary in the past to do odd jobs. On January 3rd, 2020, Gary went to Long's house and to ask if he wanted the driveway shoveled. Long said no, so Gary then pushed his way into the house and strangled Long, committed a sex act on his dead body, and stole his television, laptop, cell phone, and car. They said... The, the lawyer said that the defendant strangled Long and then raped him. How's that work? Wow. Uh, crazy. Now, his defense attorney argued that Gary and Long had engaged in sex on previous occasions, and Gary was usually paid. So the lawyer alleged in, that on the day in question, Gary and Long were engaged in sexual asphyxiation, choking somebody, in other words, when Long died. And so Gary decided to take Long's possession as a form of payment. Yikes! What the? I mean, what uh, what does the what does the son of the of Long say? Hmm. Yeah, there's no. Uh, yeah, well, whatever his argument, his cockamamie argument was, the uh, attorneys were not buying. The jury wasn't buying it, and um, that's done. The Capitol police officer who shot Ashley Babbitt. Remember the only chick who was murdered on that day in question, January 6th, the Capitol riot? He has revealed his identity after it emerged on uh, basic social media and did an interview with NBC. This was Lieutenant Michael Byrd. And he said, quote, I know that day I saved countless lives, end quote. Hmm. They had kept his identity, identity private. Remember, I was questioning that for a while. 
um, because normally we know the identity of cops. Some of you guys told me, well, it's federal policy. They don't issue names of cops, unlike, you know, local cops. He's a 28-year veteran of the Capitol Police Force. Lieutenant Byrd said he had never fired his gun on duty before January 6th. And he said he waited as long as he could. He didn't want anybody to try to enter through their doors, but they did not comply, and he felt he had to use deadly force. And I know that's very controversial among many of you. But I will say, I don't know if he needed to do it, but I will say that she definitely put herself in a very bad position by ignoring a law enforcement officer, pointing a gun right at your face one foot away, and then breaking down a door and climbing through it to like get at him. That's just going to end bad, no matter what your feelings are on it. Uh, okay, quickly, starting to run out of time here. Let's uh, finish up here. Those Tennessee floods... I don't know if you guys saw that, but quite a few people have died in that. Uh, at least 20 people have died when those floods just rushed through, like, middle Tennessee. There, uh, there's a, Yeah, there's, like, at least 20 and a few others remaining mi uh, missing. Catastrophic flash floods triggered by heavy rainfall caught many surprise last Saturday. They hit a stretch of rural communities west of Nashville. And you see the pictures of it. It's just crush these houses. Uh, the amount of rainfall forecasters said would set a statewide record for the most rain in a 24-hour span, and then they lost the region's phone and 911 systems. The town of McEwen, Tennessee, recorded 17 inches of rainfall on one day, Saturday. That broke the previous record of 13.6 inches that was set in 1982. So... Unfortunate. An African pastor has died. And this is in Zambia. Why did this guy die? Why am I talking about it? <clears throat> well, he was trying to recreate the resurrection from a grave that Jesus went through. The pastor's named James Sakara from Zambia. He asked to be buried alive. Okay. He's from the Zion Church, and he was positive he would rise from his underground tomb after being buried alive for three days. Well, they obliged him, and they buried the 22-year-old pastor for three days. And when members of his congregation dug him up, guess what? He had died. Yes, yes, he has. They said that they weren't so sure about the plan, but eventually three members did agree to chuck the young pastor into the grave. Before being lowered to the ground, Sakara quoted from the Bible about what Jesus said to his disciples before he was betrayed. The pastor was then placed in the grave with his hands tied in front of him before he had dirt piled on top of him. So, then, three days went by, they dug him up, he was dead. They tried using spiritual rituals and exercises to resuscitate him, but uh, he did remain dead. According to the Daily Mail, one of the members of the church who helped in burying the man handed himself into police while the other two are on the run. <laughs> and the pastor left behind a young wife who's pregnant. Well, dude, this is fucking Darwinism, man. Come on. What are you doing? Ugh. Supreme Court has allowed the revival of the Trump-era Remain-in-Mexico asylum policy. That's right. 
They refused to block a ruling from a federal judge in Texas requiring the Biden administration to reinstate that Trump-era immigration policy that forces asylum seekers arriving at the southwestern border to await approval in Mexico. The court's brief unsigned order said the administration had appeared to act arbitrarily and capriciously in rescinding the program. Citing a decision last year refusing to let the Trump administration rescind the Obama-era program because of acting arbitrary and capriciously. So I guess at least they're consistent. So those uh, remain in Mexico, formerly known as Migrant Protection Protocols, applies to people who left a third country and traveled through Mexico to reach the U.S. border. So after the policy was put in place at the beginning of 2019, tens of thousands of people were waiting in immigration hearings in Mexico. And illegal border crossings had dropped precipitously. So it was very much working, by the way. And then stupid Joe Biden, of course, decided to undo it. And now we've got uh, record-setting fucking illegal immigration at the border. A Colorado man has been sentenced for murdering a woman using the handle of a bathroom plunger. 67 Jesus Romero was sentenced this week to a mandatory life sentence in the killing of Edna Woodrum, 58 years old. A jury convicted him of one count of first-degree felony homicide, negligent homicide, and one count of sexual assault. This happened in 2018. Romero himself called 911, and here's the gory detail. When officers arrived, they found Woodrum nude, bloody, and dead on the ground, and that there were signs of a struggle. And she was murdered, get ready, after a 17.5-inch wooden handle from a bathroom plunger was found sticking out of her anus. Yep, there you go. Hey, guys, this is the news out there. I'm just taking, I'm bringing you the news. I know, some of you yell at me because it's graphic. This is what's out there. Uh, By the way, this killing occurred at a senior living facility called the Birchwood apartments hmm so who was i don't know if he was living there or the chick was living there or what i mean 67 and 58 years old is pretty young for a senior facility but i don't know maybe one of them had dementia or maybe he had dementia uh let's see quickly man who worked at church tried to solicit a sex act from a girl 33 year old kenneth tyler hostin Worked for a company that was contracted to run the church's sound system. Uh, It's always the sound guy. Suspect. And a Baltimore mother has been charged with murdering her two children, six and eight years old, after leaving their bodies to rot. Ugh. A week after neighbors reported hearing a child screaming, Mommy, no. This is 28-year-old Jamiria Hall, and she was arrested and charged this week with two counts of murder, among others. Police found both children decomposing in the family's apartment. God. Yep. The daughter was in the bathtub with clothing around her neck. The son was found in a sleeping bag with a knife in his chest. Jesus. This is like psycho shit, dude. Just monsters out there. And uh, then... Finally, what else do I have? Let's go to... uh, I think I'm just going to go to the big finish, guys. And yes, many of you sent this to me, and I tweeted out, at Bravo Kilo Actual, a man has died in India 
after he used super glue to seal his penis shut instead of wearing a condom while on a drug bender. 25-year-old Salman Mirza from Fatahwadi, India, used, I'll just call it super glue, they describe it as an epoxy adhesive, on his penis before having sex at a hotel, according to the Times of India. Mirza and his girlfriend reportedly checked in a hotel where they proceeded to take drugs. Then they decided to have sex, but they realized they'd forgotten to bring a condom. It was then that they decided to use this epoxy adhesive to seal up his penis so that he could have sex without the risk of impregnating his girlfriend. And they just happened to have this super glue because they sometimes used to inhale it, you know, get high off the fumes. So they just they just happened to have it. And he's like, oh, okay, I'll, I'll just I'll just uh, pour some of this down my dick hole, and that should be fine. That's what he actually thought. Well, the next day, he was found unconscious in the shrubbery outside of an apartment complex. Shortly after his condition worsened, he was taken to the hospital. He died due to multiple organ failure. And they said a lot of, some of it was due to drugs. And the other, though, was probably him jizzing, but the jizz couldn't go anywhere, so it's like backed up somewhere, so then it gets an infection. I don't know how it works, but... At the bottom line, kids, from your Uncle BK, please do not pour super glue into your urethra to seal your dick shut so you won't get your girlfriend pregnant. Take the 10 minutes to run to the liquor store and get a condom if you feel that strongly about it. There's your advice for me. And that, guys, there goes the iPad. I'm all done. That's two and a half hours. Straight through, no breaks, no editing. I'm the only guy capable of doing such a feat. Uh, please follow me on Twitter at Bravo Kilo Actual and look at my Instagram at BK Actual. And guys, I'd really appreciate it if you go to patreon.com, search for BK Actual, and please consider making a donation. Help keep the podcast going. And uh, I need to bring up the amount before the end of the month. I'd like a nice big push for the end of August. And I know you guys can do it and sincerely appreciate every one of you who donates. I, I always send a message, a personal message to each and every one of you who gets on Patreon because that's how I pay the bills. And uh, it's awesome. So can't thank you enough. So please go again, patreon.com, search for BK Actual. And guys, that's all I got for you. I will see you next week or possibly not, but I will definitely keep you guys posted on social media. Time.